Welcome to the Grays Harbor Sports Edition of the Scrimmage Podcast this week. As I mentioned on the end of the Northwest Sports Podcast, we're doing things a little bit differently. We started without Daniel. You guys are jerks! Thought it would be funny. Uh, we did, we're doing things a little bit differently. We're going to break it into two podcasts weekly where on one of them we talk about Northwest sports. So Mariners, Seahawks, Blazers, Huskies, Cougars, definitely a lot of Oregon Ducks. Hey! Um, but you get that out of your mouth. We're going to have a separate, as possible. <laughs> a separate podcast <laughs> where we talk about uh, local sports, Grays Harbor sports, what happened around here. And the idea of that is... So those of you who only want one or the other, it will be quickly and easily accessible to you. And if you only care about local sports, you don't have to listen to us ramble about or, Pete Carroll or for even 40 if minutes. you care about regional sports, but you really don't care what we have to say about it. Which That's not a thing. Very hey, reasonable. Everyone should care what we have. <laughs> Daniel had some really good, passionate takes about Pete Carroll. I got hot. That last. Yeah, you did. Heated. Yeah, I could tell. Whew. But we do we do have a very exciting local sports podcast because we're going to discuss uh, we we have no athlete of the week named right now we're going to have to come up with it on the fly. Do I? But we have opening week of high school football. Yes. So we've got our few local teams to report. Are you going to do a roundup? Or we're going to do a roundup. <laughs> Are we going to do a roundup? We're going to name an athlete of the week later in this podcast. We will reveal the results of our first week of our pick'em contest. You prices righted me hardcore, and I don't like it. I don't think you can call it a prices right because I still went over. <laughs> oh, you're right. You can't go over. Yeah, you can't okay. go over. Daniel predicted the Aberdeen Hoquiam score as forty-two to nothing. I predicted it forty-one to nothing, and they won forty to nothing. I'm so mad. <laughs> so, so I was the most right, even though Daniel predicted it almost perfectly. You metagamed him. Yeah, I thought for yeah. sure. Like I was watching that game, and they got to forty, and I was like, I easily have the best prediction here. And then I went and checked, and I was like, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't predict. You didn't scores, do scores, yeah. So, I don't know. You abstained. I yeah. Well, Justin said I didn't need to. After <laughs> I didn't realize they were required, and then Justin was like, "Yeah, you don't need to." During our break, and people who watch Letterkenny will get this. <laughs> During our break, when we were waiting for the next podcast to start, my wife sent me a text that said, "Pitter patter, get after it." <laughs> Pitter patter. Let's get at her. Pitter patter. Anyway, we have uh, we have some news to report on local sports, so let's get it going with the local sports roundup. Boom. Aberdeen handled Hoquiam easily on Friday at Historic Olympic Stadium for their third straight victory in the annual Myrtle Street rivalry game. Behind the efforts of Trey Anderson and Jeremy Sawyer, the Bobcats dispatched the Grizzlies 40 to nothing, which was closest to my prediction. <laughs> Anderson led Aberdeen with 130 yards, rushing on 12 carries, while Sawyer rushed 13 times for 90 yards and caught three passes for 58 yards. The duo scored two touchdowns apiece. Cale Goings and Marcus Hale also each scored a TD on the ground for the Bobcats. Aberdeen outgained Hoquiam 426 yards to 50 yards in the contest. All those stats are just a little bit different from the ones. It's fairly normal that that happens. The ones that Ian and I take on the radio on air. I got to say, we're pretty darn really close super close. I was noticing. Yeah, we yeah. had him for like 433 total yards to Hoquiam's 47. Um, we had Sawyer for 94 yards and two touchdowns. I got to say, Marcus Hale, his touchdown run was like a 43 yard yeah, touchdown 43 run or something yard, like yeah. that. Um, I also want to bring up that. 
think his name's Kyle Miller. Gosh darn it, I should have wrote down his first name. But anyway, Miller for Aberdeen not only had a touchdown taken away because there was a holding on the play, or some, there was a penalty on the play, he's a senior, but also he had an interception taken away at the end of the game that for the life of me, we can't figure out why. Hmm. And that was a bit of a bummer because he was a senior. For Hoquiam, the only highlights came from the defensive side of the ball. Um, Atard had a forced fumble. Monroe recovered that fumble. Xander Jump had a interception, and Atwell had an interception. So basically, their only highlights came on defense, and it was they got three turnovers from the Bobcats in the first half. When the roundup's over, I have a couple more questions for you about that game okay, too. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Elma protected its home turf on Friday in a non-league cross-class contest against Centralia. Eagles, take that, Centralia. Eagles junior <laughs> quarterback Carter Studer rushed for one touchdown and passed for another in the 20-7 victory. Austin Salazar scored Elma's other touchdown on a fumble recovery in the second quarter. Isaac Phillips led Elma's rushing attack with 86 yards and on 18 carries, while senior receiver Gibson Kane led receiving with 30 yards on five catches, including an 11-yard touchdown catch. I think that's definitely an encouraging sign to see Elma go out and beat a 2A team in the first week of the season and a good indication of hopefully what's going to be some really competitive football to come in the Evergreen 1A. In another Evergreen 1A matchup against a 2A team, Montesano head coach Terry Jensen cited mental errors in the Bulldogs' 33-20 season-opening loss to Black Hills on Friday in Tumwater. Montesano played much of the game within striking distance of the Wolves, but never led in the contest. Despite leaving with an injury for a couple of series in the second half, senior quarterback Jaden McElravey passed for 198 yards, while also leading Monty in rushing with 44 yards. McElravey scored a touchdown on the ground and threw a touchdown on a deep bomb to Bodie Poehler, both in the second quarter. Jackson Wilson connected with Tyler Johansson, both of those kids are juniors, for Monty's other touchdown while McElravey was out with an injury. And I have a lot more thoughts to share on that game when the roundup is over as well. Oh, I bet. Montesano's <laughs> girls soccer opened the season with a 5 to nil. Oh, get me using nil there. Over Chelan. <laughs> Take that, Chelan. On Friday in Montesano, returning all-state forward Michaela Stanfield scored two goals for the Bulldogs, as did senior forward Lily Kazi. Addie Kersker capped scoring in the 70s, 72nd minute by booting a 20-yard free kick into the net. Ooh, a 20-yarder. That's impressive. That's a long distance for a free kick to nail that in. Aberdeen's Britt Radjic. Did I say that right? Probably. I think it's Radzic. Radzic. And Montesano's Haley Blankis helped the Chambers Bay 17U PGA Junior League All-Star team to a victory at a sectional qualifying event on Saturday, August 20th. I don't know most of those words, but it's good. (laughs) The Eagle Crest Golf Resort in Redmond, Oregon. And anytime people are jumping states to play golf, that means you know they're real good. Yeah, and uh, Redmond has some nice courses. Oh, boy. Radzic and her partner finished with a one under par 35, while Blankis and her teammate shot an even par 36 in the two-person scramble nine-hole round format. I would like to say... That sounds fun. A lot of the info that we got here was from the Daily World Sports Department, so thank you to the Daily World for following our local athletes and giving us a lot of this information. But that will conclude the local sports roundup. So, a couple of things. A, I see Haley Blankis, or I used to see Haley... Back when I had time to golf and didn't have a torn Achilles. 
Mm-hmm. I used to see Haley Raj or Haley Blankus at Highland all the time. Mm-hmm. She puts in a lot of time, and it doesn't surprise me at all that her and Britt Radchich were able to play very well at this high level competition. Also, how fun would it be to play in a two person scramble, like competitively? That sounds and that sounds like a blast to go even like that's darn good for two people. Mm-hmm. Like I've played in four person scrambles with like all of these weird bonuses that like let you cheat throughout the day <laughs> and not cheat, bend the rules like a Hargrove. Well, I mean, it's technically not <laughs> cheating because they're giving like you just have to buy things to get like free oh, shots yeah. and stuff, you know, like yeah. putting it's string and stuff. Andrew like that. and I played in a scramble like that a few years ago. Yeah. So yeah. it's not cheating, but in the world of golf, it would be considered yeah. cheating. Like you, you, you don't get, get a, a random mug. You don't get to quote your score score to other people without specifying <laughs> the holes that you cheated I also, in. I exactly. don't remember what the advantages were, but Andrew and I were both too cheap to buy any advantages. But one of the people <laughs> that we were playing with bought like a packet of them. Yes. Yeah. You always want cool. to play with the rich people yeah. or the generous people. <laughs> yeah. It could be either rich one. People. people who really care about yeah. local sports. Because I think it was an Aberdeen football fundraiser. Was it football fundraiser. Yeah. yeah. I've played in ones where you see other teams, like there's this thing called putting string, where mm-hmm. if you get the ball on the green, mm-hmm. you get to use string to make it like, oh, that's good. And you see people just like walking out with string, like they're getting ready to make a fence with it around like 40 <laughs> acres. And you're like, well, we can't compete against them. Great. Maybe yeah. putt well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to go through our pick em results and... If you follow us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, or Instagram, you probably saw our post with what all about, of our picks from this past week. Would that be like Fittersgram? Maybe. Can you combine three things, Justin? You can do whatever you want, Daniel. You make the rules. You told me before that I didn't make the rules, and I had to do it your very specific way. I don't have any rules about combining three words. Okay, gotcha. But uh, we did a pick <laughs> contest, and we're starting with just the four main local teams. So Aberdeen, Hope, William, Elba, Montesano. Don't say main. The four biggest. The four biggest and main local teams <laughs> that we cover. Um, we're starting that way, and then as weeks go on, maybe after a couple weeks, we expand out to some of the 2B teams, uh, Acosta, North Beach, um, PL Willapaw Valley, Raymond South Bend will expand out. And then towards the end of the season, we'll expand out to like, you know, some of the 1B schools like Tahola and I don't know, Wishka, um, Lake Quinault. Lake Quinault. And so some of them used to have combined. I'll have to figure out a little bit more about that. Yeah, I need to do some research on this. Oakville. But for starters, we got to get to Oakville. Yeah. Merriam Knight? Yeah. Yeah. Eight man teams. We're in the Merriam Knight district right now. We are. (laughs) So we started with just picking three games this week. And in addition to the three of us, we also roped in um, some, I mean... Legends? I was going to say, like, if of the five of us that are in this competition, probably the two people that we got to join us are more credible than any of us. Ian told me that this is his 23rd year covering high school football in Grace Harbor. Yeah, so Ian Cope. Yep. The voice of Grays Harbor High School football, there you go. as Daniel has dubbed him, and yep. he's very uncomfortable with. Yes. Um, and also <laughs> Rob Burns, who is the former sports editor and longtime sports reporter yep. at the Daily World newspaper. They have joined us in this weekly Pick'em contest. And I got to say, uh, most of you did pretty bad. We only picked three games, and three of you only got one right. Three of us? Two of us got two right. 
Ian Cope and I both correctly picked yeah. Elma over Centralia. Yep. So we will jump out to the early two to one lead yep. while Andrew, Daniel, and Rob are one and two. But I want to run through what some of the predictions were and how things happened very differently or right what we thought they'd be. Yeah. Um, Daniel and I, as we already mentioned, were closest on the Aberdeen game. So Aberdeen beat Hoquiam forty to nothing. Daniel had forty two to nothing. I had forty one to nothing. Yep. Both Rob and Ian had Hoquiam scoring points, which ended up being wrong. Yeah, not the case. The big game of the week where we all got it wrong yeah. was Montesano at Black Hills. Yeah, that didn't go well. Yeah. Um, I was the worst. Rob was, yeah, you had 35-7, to Monty. Yeah, that was Rob, not good. Rob picked Monty, but he picked him to win 31-27. So Rob's the closest. Yeah. Um, in the Elma game, as I already mentioned, Ian picked... Ian and I picked right. We had basically the same prediction, which was he had 28-21. I had 27-20. It ended up being 20-7. to Okay. So you picked so Centralia even though I was just basing my entire picks on, on what, what you told Justin us, told us. Which was that Elma was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I said... You that, misled us, sir. I said that when I watched Elma I play against... I don't do against, my own research, okay? <laughs> against Montesano and Rochester in the... In, the Jamboree specifically, they really struggled. So for them to come out in so week one, but Elma last year was respectable. The, yes. Yeah. Sorry. I, I feel like I'm getting into this bad habit of talking over you. So I apologize. Like a recent bad habit? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was like starting to yell while you're still going. Okay. So I apologize for that. Okay. But I, I am not offended by that remotely. It's also um, not a recent bad habit. Centralia is the only school <laughs> in Lewis County that I that I can uh, badmouth. So, oh, okay. So I'm excited that they suck. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a combination of Centralia is probably real bad. Yeah. And um, Elma is more of what we hoped they would be and less of what I saw at the Jamboree. Oh, good. Hopefully. Because what Elma had struggled for several years and then last year... They were significantly more competitive yes. and kind of got unlucky by the oh. fact that the league was so good that they ended up aced out of the playoffs. So good, and they had a ton of injuries right. and COVID issues right. that just killed them. They yeah. would have been, gosh, yeah. And the league, you're right, because Eatonville and Tenino was actually good, which is weird. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, 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 see, I keep seeing Tenino popping up in all these preseason and I don't know what happened with Tenino in week one. They won. But did they? Yeah, they were down seven to six early to PL Willapaw Valley. So they were playing a smaller school. Okay. But they ended up winning like twenty eight or something to seven. Something smaller like school, smaller team, lower classification, but yeah. generally a very competitive one. And a lot of people are thinking are gonna be really good in that two B ranks this year. I was having a hard time believing that Tenino, after losing Takari Hickel, who basically was their team like I'm not saying that they didn't have other good players? They did. Yeah, they had games I mean, where they had three rushers that all went for 150 plus yards. Well, they scored 80 points in a playoff game. Yeah, I know they were good, bonkers, and they had a couple of those guys returning. Yeah, in but football, Takari rushed for like <laughs> 2,000 yards. Yeah, the guy was insane, and he went to Oregon State. Yeah, there's a reason why he's still playing for a Beavers team. So I was having a, a difficult time registering them as a top 10 team when. Like, historically, they are not that. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with yeah. Tonino throughout the year. We will. Yeah. Um, but I'm I, having the same feeling. I'm having the same exact feeling as you. I'm like, their studs gone. Yeah. Historically, they stink. 
you're gonna have to prove it to me. Yeah, that's my thought. I struggle with Tanino a little bit. Yeah. They, uh, I feel like there's always some <laughs> kind of incident when we go to Tanino for something. Oh, are they turning into forks, or uh, or is it that you're with Monty? It's like there's <laughs> well, always forks is like legendary. Yeah, for if you go to forks, you're starting ten points down in basketball and seven points down in football, and I don't even know how many runs in baseball. All I know is that they have legit potholes on their field. <laughs> yeah, no, in Tonino, it's more like a general sports culture thing where. Oh, um, I ran into that this year in All Stars for baseball. Mm. Insane. Sorry. I'm Insane. trying to recall. Oh my gosh. I mean, I can give <laughs> and examples. Not even All-Stars. Like, even regular season, too. During last year's football game, Montesano at Tonino, the referees literally had to stop the game because there was a fan that was so unruly that was just outside the border on the sidelines. You know how you can watch kind yeah. of from the track? Yeah. A, a referee literally stopped the game for a fan to be escorted from the field. And they won. They beat us. But that's how... Wow. And I'm trying to think back on a Tenino game where something like that didn't happen. <laughs> and I hope Tenino fans are not listening and getting offended by this. But at the same time, like, get your crap figured out. No, people. I hope they are. Yeah. They're not yeah. our core demographic. Um, we can make them angry. Exactly. So there's, there's a, I, the, I, And I will balance it by saying, personally, I hope Takari Hickel is the best player in Oregon State history. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I hope so, too. Yeah. Takari Hickel, also, formerly of Elma. Get your crap figured out, Tenino. Yeah. Because also, I was involved in a baseball game this year, which was super relaxed and like recreational level baseball, and you were giving me crap about the lineup substitutions that yes. we were doing when most of the teams in the league, including you, were batting like 12 players. One of them, So lineup isn't exactly important. One of Call the most yourself. unruly parental fan bases I've ever encountered was at a... Tenino at Hoquiam basketball game many, many years ago in which the, like, usually referees do a really good job of ignoring stuff. Yeah. The refs were turning around during the game trying to figure out who was saying things. Yeah. I um, think one of the worst ones I found was at a playoff game. Oh, gosh. Was it Castle Rock? It was one of those South Camp. It was one of those Trico teams, so I can really just, like, lay into them. Yeah. <laughs> Screw you, Trico. It was either Castle Rock or... No, it wasn't Kalama. Columbia White Salmon. I want. I'm just gonna go Castle Rock. Okay. I generally dislike them anyway. <laughs> but anyway, there was one game where they were saying the types of things to officials. It was in the game before I broadcast, and they were saying the types of things where I was like, "Okay, that's outside of sports related, and you're just a bad human for saying those words." <laughs> like it was real bad. Our list of schools outside of our immediate area that we hate is getting really long. It is. <laughs> It is. Because I'm going to talk about Black Hills in a little bit also. Oh, I hate Black Hills too. Um, but, <laughs> Daniel, I have some questions for you about the Aberdeen-Hoquiam game. Yeah, let's do so, it. So, number it a, one. It was a weird game. Halftime, yeah. where this game where you and I both predicted a Mercy Rule game and ended up being 40 to nothing. Halftime was 13 to nothing. Yeah. So, what was the big difference first half to second half? <laughs> Aberdeen stopped giving Hoquiam the ball. Oh, like literally they had three turnovers in the first half. The first Aberdeen play of the game, like after the kickoff, the first play of the game, they fumbled the snap, tried to pick it up, couldn't, and Hoquiam dove on it. Okay. So the very first play of the game, Hoquiam recovers the fumble, starts off in great field possession, 
Goes like three and out with probably like four penalties, moves backwards, and ends up punting. The next drive, was it the next drive? I think the next drive they threw a pick. And at some point, I think I think then they scored on their next two drives to make it 13 to nothing. And then they threw another interception. And here's the thing is it was really funny because as I'm broadcasting the game, I think this happened before both interceptions, at least before the first one. I said, oh, is that was wind chimes? Wind chimes. Okay. Yes. Anyway, before the first interception, I was like, I thought it was a ringtone for a second. Sorry. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> I was like, wow, Kale Goings is making excellent decisions, especially on these read options. And then, like, literally the next play, they you can tell it was a designed play that they worked on in practice that was supposed to be a home run hitter, right? So he takes a snap, play action, rolls out to his right, and everything's moving to the right, and then he stops and chucks it back deep to the left. So you can tell in practice they had worked on it like, oh, we're going to get this home run ball, guys. But he stops, looks to the left, and instead of going, oh, crap. Hoquiam actually has two defenders on that one receiver out there who's supposed to be wide open. It's he throws it anyway. And so it resulted in an interception. But you can tell that they had worked on it constantly in practice. Like, oh, guys, we're going to get him for like a hundred yard touchdown here. And there may not have actually been a read involved. Yeah. Yeah. It (laughs) either could have been not a read or they had just practiced it so many times, assuming that it would work. And the other play was very similar to that. The other, or was it the other interception? There was another play that maybe should have been intercepted that was very similar to that, where it was like everything seemed like this play was designed to be a great big play, and they had worked on it so many times during the week that it was just kind of built into his head, like, hey, this is our deep threat. And then it just ended. Oh, yeah, it was a double move. It was like a guy runs a stop route, a guy runs an out and up around the stop route, And it was like, oh, you know, he pumped the throw and it was supposed to be like this big play. But in both situations, Hoquiam actually covered it right. Mm -hmm. And so... That's the worst. I know. And so (laughs) as a quarterback, you're supposed to go, oh, crap, that didn't work. Make the decision to do something else, even if it's just run or take a sack. But instead, completely understandably, and especially in the first game, Kale was like, no, this is what we planned all week. I'm going to chuck it. And in both situations, they got picked off. After that, Aberdeen just dominated. Like, their defense, I don't see how playing a smaller team, like, their defense is very fast on the back end and very big up front. Mm -hmm. That's hard to move the ball against consistently. So I think their defense is going to be really legit. Their offense is very creative and very multiple, and they don't have the quarterback running all the way to the sideline every play to get the play. Like... It looks like an actual modern offense, and this is the first time in a decade I've been able to say that, and I'm excited about this Aberdeen offense. It looks good and exciting, and I think they're going to be pretty darn fun to watch this year. So you mentioned the size up front on defense, and the other thing I wanted to I ask mean, you Jabron about... Books and... Is it Paul uh, Baltazar? Is it Paul Baltazar? I, get, it's a, I think it's Baltazar or something. Anyway, okay. he's like 6'6 six, six and 280 or something like that. And Jabron's 6'4", 325, yeah. something ridiculous. So they have massive kids up front. Yeah. I was curious your thoughts on offensive line play. And did was a big factor in Aberdeen's dominance on offense. Was it 
skill position players like Jeremy Sawyer and Trey Anderson making big plays and how big of a difference did it make having those big guys up front and how the offensive line moved the pile? Um, let's put it this way. There were multiple plays where I was like, oh, Jeremy Sawyer, Trey Anderson, what a great run, like able to read that little crease or make that move at the point of attack. But then there was also like 10 times, including a few touchdown runs where I was like, wow, what a run. I mean, at the point of attack, they had about three truck lengths of an alley to run through. But then once they got into the second level, they either juked somebody out or trucked somebody. But I mean, the offensive line at the point of attack had about 10 plays where it was like, I mean, I could have walked through the hole. So I think it was a mix of both. And that's what you want to see, right? I mean, you want to see massive holes open up and then the running back not only get the yards that they're supposed to, but then make a play after that. And on one of them, Jeremy, it was so funny. So this massive hole opens up. It's got to be five yards wide, right? He runs through the hole. And then as he's deciding which way to go around the lineman or the fullback that's currently blocking the middle linebacker, he slips, goes down into like a baseball catcher's position, trying to keep his knees off the ground. So like two-legged squat, Mm -hmm. slips, slides for about two yards because it's Hoquiam and it's grass, (laughs) then gathers himself, jukes out the safety that's coming and runs for a touchdown. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know what to talk about on this play. Yeah. The offensive line was amazing. The blocking was great, and Jeremy just did something out of the matrix. So it was it was pretty sweet. <laughs> great. And Trey must have trucked like four people at the end of his runs. He does not look like the type of player who's trucking people, mm-hmm. but they have him playing in that fullback role now that Jacob Bowers is injured and out mm-hmm. for the season, which sucks because he's a very talented player. But they put Trey there, and so he's getting a ton more touches, and he's showing that he can run with power, not only speed. So that's cool. Great. So I, I know... We already knew going into this that, you know, last year was really difficult for Hoquiam. I think we're hoping that Hoquiam can, over the next few years, kind of get back into what they were, which is, I mean, it's a it's a really interesting and weird thing to see yeah. Hoquiam struggle so badly because I haven't we hadn't really seen it. They were either okay or really good yeah. for a long stretch of time. A very long stretch of time, yeah. So we knew that Hoquiam was going to struggle a bit, but I also think that knowing that Aberdeen is kind of a sleeper in that evergreen 2A where there's always Tumwater. WF West is going to be really good again. Shelton's supposed to be good as well. I always forget about that Shelton's in there too. Yeah, because they used to be 3A, now they're 2A. Yeah. So Shelton's in there as well, and they're supposed to be good. So it's a really, really difficult league. Yeah. And Aberdeen is kind of like on the fringe. But this group of seniors that Aberdeen has now... Those are the kids who didn't allow a point through their eighth grade season. Yep. Like the scene, this is the year. And a lot of the juniors who were playing with them, too. I mean, Jabron yeah. was playing, I believe, with them. Yeah, Jabron was playing a year. Uh, he uh, was playing up yeah. in eighth grade football in seventh grade. I think he yeah. ended up, didn't he play one year and then take a year off from junior high football? I'm not sure. I thought. I think he wrong. played, I could be wrong about this. I think he played eighth grade football in his seventh grade year and then took a year off of junior high football. Wouldn't surprise me. Because they wanted him to be able to play. Because they wanted him to not accidentally kill somebody. That is exactly my thought, but that's not with any internal knowledge. Dude, that was... there was a play that would have been called a personal foul in the pros, which I don't think they have a rule for it in high school, 
But Xander Jump, I was shocked that he got up after it. Mm. Hit by Jabron? Hit by Jabron right after he threw it, and all of his body weight landed right on top of Xander Jump. And I'm thinking, in the NFL, that's a personal foul because you're not allowed to land on people. And he just crushed him. Are you not allowed to land on people or the quarterback? The quarterback. quarterback. You're not allowed to land on the quarterback. Did I ever tell you about my brief interaction with uh, Jabron during the offseason? No. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> this was one where I was like, I hope I didn't like awaken some kind of a sleeping giant. Oh, but no. I know Jabron doesn't need motivation from me to get up for a game, right? Right. And I'll just say, since I think we kind of put a bow on the Aberdeen Hoquiam thing, next week, I'm I, bef- right before you go put ahead. a bow on it, I do want to say that I think Hoquiam showed me some things on defense. They actually had a goal line stand, or not goal line, but it was like fourth and two at mm-hmm. the 10 or something like that. And. Aberdeen's a legit running team, and they stopped them for a loss of a yard. Mm-hmm. They showed a couple of things that I think that this should be better than last year, and I think they're moving in the right direction. Okay, which good. was encouraging to me. And it's weird to say that in after a forty to nothing loss, but maybe I think that's because I think Aberdeen's going to be really good this year. I think a forty to nothing loss with the perspective that that's a really good team that's a class higher than you is fair. And that Todd Bridge said in the interview beforehand, his last comment was, "We remember 2019." <laughs> and I was like, "Was that running up the score?" Uh... Hoquiam won 56 to three that year, and they kept their starters in the entire game and were throwing it deep at the end of the game. Which, to be fair to Daniel, he hated. I loathe that decision, and I will say forever: keep your starters in. Be mired in mediocrity year after year. Take your starters out and watch your dynasty rise like Montesano because their backups get varsity time. I've said this for so many years. I'm gonna yep. s- just going to stop. That's fine. I've said it like a million times. You gave, you get, you, uh, gave the whole speech on during the, during the game, and I, I appreciated it because yeah, I think you're right. I'll do it every year. So I ran into Gibran at a track meet. Okay. You um, ran into him? Dang, well, that must not, have hurt. Not physically, because oh, okay. I would still not have gotten up. Even though this was several months ago, I'd still be on the ground at <laughs> Rottle Field. Um, but no, I was talking to a friend of mine who is an Aberdeen fan and knows Jabron. And um, he came up and he was talking to him. And I was talking a little bit with him very briefly. And I said something along the lines of, oh, I'm really looking forward to football season. I'm, I'm really rooting for you guys. It's just too bad that in week two you have to start with an early loss. and the look he gave me at least initially implied that he did not think my joke was funny and keeping in mind that Gibran is a massive human being yes and then he walked away no he didn't say anything (laughs) no oh no and I turned to my my friend my Aberdeen friend and I was like I don't think he got the joke. (laughs) And he let me stew for a little bit. And then eventually he told me he turned around and smiled when he was walking away. So, okay. So he got the joke. He didn't allow me to know that he got the joke. That's great. I thought I had just offended him. That's hilarious. Jabron, hopefully you're not still mad about that. That's awesome. (laughs) But anyway, that will lead me into what I want to talk about, which is the Montesano Black Hills game. Knowing that next week... 
the what has become a huge rivalry game uh-huh. of Aberdeen versus Montesano will be taking place. It is right now scheduled to be at Rottle Field. But I have been led to believe that there is a possibility a chance. that it can be moved to Stewart. So I'm in telling me there's a chance. I'm in like all of the my, I have a I have a son on the Montesano varsity team. So I'm in like these Facebook groups and group chats and stuff and everything is proceeding as if the game is played at Rottle. Okay. But I don't know what the deadline is, but there's a possibility I have been told that it could still be played at Stewart Field. That's what I've heard. So we'll see. Yeah. I know as a field update, the turf is laid. Oh. They were working on Sewing in the lines and the numbers the other oh, day. It's going to have numbers. Thank God. I think so. Right? <laughs> did, it, did the old field not have numbers? No, the old field okay. didn't have numbers. So they were working on sewing so in those things. Goal posts still needed to go up at last update, but that was a couple days ago. And there's also a project going on with the bathrooms and the concession stands mm-hmm. that's ongoing. But if those things can get done it by whatever the deadline that I don't know is, maybe that game can be played at Stewart Field. That'd be cool. I, I'm a, I'm obviously pulling for Montesano here, <laughs> but I want Aberdeen to get their field crap together. Yep. And that whole thing was such a mess. Yeah. That I will feel better about it if that game gets to be played in Aberdeen. Yeah. And they didn't take my advice, by the way. Which was that they should have Aberdeen's PA announcer do the game. That they should put Aberdeen's yeah. student section in the correct well, spot. Like none of that really happened. I think it was instead a, it was a Hoquiam home game. It, that's what I felt like. Yeah. Well, it they did a swap. So like instead, usually they trade years. So now instead of it being Hoquiam this year and Aberdeen or Aberdeen this year and Hoquiam next year, they switch. Okay. So it'll be. Technically, next year is Hoquiam's year, but you'll have two years in a row that are played in Aberdeen. Yeah, and I would assume that since gotcha. when they schedule these things with Monty as well, they're usually a home and a, ho- a home and home. And we- and Monty didn't play Aberdeen last year, so I'm going to assume that if they get the game in Rottle this year, that next year they'll get Stewart instead. So there's still a trade, but the thing for me is that like that doesn't do anything for this year's seniors. Exactly. Yeah. Like this year's Aberdeen seniors didn't get to play at their home field. Yep. In their junior or senior year. Pressure. So that is part of the reason why I will feel better if the game gets to be played at Stewart Field. Same here. But go ahead. Are you done, are you going to talk about the Black Hills game I am, first? Yeah. Do you want to talk about Black Hills first and then we'll get to the Aberdeen Money matchup? Do you want to, I don't want to talk a lot about Black Hills. Break? I okay. want to talk briefly about Black Hills. And then we'll do a commercial break okay. and then we'll talk about next week's matchup. there's okay. some interesting storylines. So the the Monty Black Hills game, the one thing that I realized that I left out of the local sports roundup was that McElravey's passing touchdown. Oh, I did say it. It was a deep bomb to Bodie Polar. It was like when I say deep bomb, it was like a 53 yard play. And it was like a ball that traveled about 40 yards in the air. It was a total dime. Bodie Polar also later in the game had a pick off of a tip um, by Jackson Wilson in the fourth quarter that helped Montesano get into striking. So Montesano had the ball in the fourth quarter down by six points at around the 30-yard line. But they struggled so badly to run against Black Hills and what they were doing. Black Hills' reputation... I don't know, Andrew, if you got deep enough into coaching to know with Aberdeen what the reputation is for Black Hills. Yeah. Their reputation is they throw quirky crap at you 
repeatedly. And even though they're generally not very good, sometimes they will have games that are closer than they should be, or they'll win games that they shouldn't because they throw something at you that you weren't ready for. Sort of a Boise State thing. Maybe. Or yeah. The way Boise State used to so, be. But Black they, Hills did you this. You did thing. mention that they had a bunch of or a few all league players returning from last year. Right? They did. So they were talented and through quirky crap. So I'm not saying that they're bad. That was like so by by far. I'm not trying to say that they didn't deserve the win or they're bad or anything okay. like that. Gotcha. They had one of their guys that was a halfback that's like six five, two hundred and thirty pounds and can move. Um, their other running back was also good, really hard to bring down. Their quarterback made some really nice throws. Also a couple of really bad ones, but made a lot of really nice plays as well. They had guys who could play. But the thing that I felt stopped Montesano from being able to run the ball was Black Hills on virtually every play, maybe 80% of the time, overloaded one side of the line. And then pinched their two inside guys across the linemen. So they're overloading one side, trying to get a defensive end free and clear off the edge. But then while Montesano, they couldn't get anything inside going because they were pinching those guys and they were able to make those plays. I hope I'm using terminology that makes sense to everybody. They're like, instead of when the defensive linemen were running up, instead of going straight forward towards the quarterback, they were running across the linemen to the other side. So they were lining up in a way that made it seem like they were just going to rush everybody around one side, and then they sent a couple guys across the middle, kind of. Interesting. And I I believe creativity, so this seems super fascinating. I believe Montesano had, um, like, they knew that some of that was coming and had planned for it, but didn't anticipate it being as much as it was or with with the added wrinkles of it. And... Mostly the only things that Montesano did offensively that really worked were getting deep passes on a rollout. Because if McElravey tried to stay in the pocket, he was getting hit way too quickly. Um, Their sweet plays, they couldn't get off fast enough to get around the guys that were coming off the one side. They couldn't get anything going up the middle because of the linemen that were pinching. And I felt watching it that they probably really needed an element of outside running to their game, which is probably where they really miss Jack Holmstrom, who would have been the big guy from last year who would have provided that this year, but he's not playing. So it was frustrating to watch because in addition to the fact that I felt like what Black Hills was running scheme wise was perfect mm-hmm. for to combat what Monty wanted to do. There was also just so many mistakes, you know, a ball that, on a fourth down, a potential fourth down conversion was right in a receiver's hands, and it bounced off of his hands right into the hands of a defensive back. Um, you know, multiple misreads to where the where Black Hills was able to get the ball out to the flat. Um, I felt like there were so many individual mistakes that, as frustrating as it was to watch, because as a Monty fan, I'm not used to watching those games and seeing that. Mm-hmm. It also... I felt a little bit encouraged about things going forward because I thought, you know, how likely is it that this group of kids who I have watched perform really well is making these kind of mistakes that are uncharacteristic. So Mm -hmm. how many of those in a game that was a one score game almost all the way through and they had a chance to win in the fourth quarter? I hope that they can eliminate a lot of the individual mental mistakes so that going forward into next week, we'll have a different team. 
and possibly a tougher opponent. So, I'd say definitely a tougher opponent. Okay. So in my opinion. So next week, if both teams, because that was the other thing that I just remembered, Aberdeen had like, I mean, the the officials seemed really flag happy, mm-hmm. but Aberdeen had 13, 14 penalties. Yeah. So they're going to have a lot of stuff to clean up too, along with the turnovers. So both teams were expecting to improve going into next week's game. So if Monty loses again next week, I know that Monty fans will probably be crushed and hard to believe, and they might start bringing up random discussions about how you have to start bailing water and weird stuff like that. But I'm going to say that, or it could just be that you lost to a couple of bigger schools and you don't have to worry about putting out a fire or bailing water to try and get back to the playoffs. Well, the schedule is really aggressive. It is. So Montesano playing Black Hills at Black Hills. The, the plan was also to play at Aberdeen. Yeah. They're also playing at Shelton. Whew. So this schedule is really difficult. And there's also aggressive. an at Eatonville game later in the season. Oh, I hope. I was just in Eatonville yesterday. Yeah. Northwest Trek. I was just, yeah. I, we went to Northwest Trek and I was just yeah. grumpy the whole time. Yeah. I was just like, ugh, ugh, Eatonville. Eatonville. Yeah. And Courtney so, was like, sports hate? And I was like, yeah. So now that you've <laughs> lost the Black Hills game. Those are all games you could lose. Like there's it would be completely reasonable to feel like you could have four losses and it wouldn't be a fluke or like something was wrong. They were just you played some really good teams. Three of them were higher classes on the road. One of them might be the best 1A team in the state. Nah. Depends on which ranking you look at. It's yeah, either Eatonville or Royal. They had a bunch of seniors last year. I don't see how they're getting I I heartily disagree with those rankings because a Eatonville got handed their own butts last year when they played Royal, but Royal also had a lot of seniors. Yes, (laughs) but they both had a lot of seniors. So the whole like Eatonville number one is just silly to me because they, I mean, it wasn't close. They had like 40 yards of offense that, that state title game was the same as Aberdeen Hoquiam this year. And yet, people are like, oh, Eatonville's the number one team in the state. Like, yeah, okay, show it. Take that, Cruisers. Stupid Cruisers. So, (laughs) as a little preview um, for this Montesano-Aberdeen game, we will get to that. Yes. but um, And we're also going to name an Ole Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week, which is going to be really hard. Yes. But first, and then, oh, also, I've got poll results. (laughs) So, those three things coming up on the other side of this commercial break. At Ole Penn Real Estate, we provide our foundation on four core values. First, we continuously focus on growing our knowledge in the market and in our practices to bring the highest level of competency to our clients. Second, we provide a high level of integrity, compassion, and kindness in every aspect of our business. Third, we put the human element above business through humor, enthusiasm, and patience. And last but not least, we proactively respond to the needs of our clients. Our mission is to create a personal real estate experience, one person and one home at a time. With OliPen, it's personal. Welcome back to the scrimmage. I am Justin Domashevitz. Got my co-host Daniel Hargrove here Hello. with me, and our trusty producer Andrew Gross. Um, our plan right now is to preview the Aberdeen Montesano game coming up, then to name an athlete of the week, which is going to be really difficult. I have a little thought in my head about what we might do with that. And then um, we're going to do poll results from last week's show. Yes. So, Daniel, are you are you guys on the broadcast for 
that game oh, yeah. on Friday. Oh, yeah. So Daniel and Ian will be there either at Stewart Field or Jack Roddle Field. There's a chance, because I started this new job, there's a chance that I won't be, and we might try and rope you into it. Mm, but we'll I, see. Surprise! I, I have already been roped, my friend. There's a problem, though. My if... job is to be the spotter for the PA announcer. What? That's yeah. a stupid decision. You could be on the air. <laughs> this Wait, is what happens. Even if, even if it happens in Aberdeen? This... I did it in... No, no, no. It's only if it's in Monty. Yeah, okay. so if it happens in yeah. Aberdeen, you can. Okay. So. Yeah. But the problem with that, if that happened, is then we would have two Monty homers on the call, and that would just be bad. That would be that's true. Delicious to listen. To. No, we did not we, for you. You're an Aberdeen we, man. We tried that. I mean, we I tried that last year. Lose. We tried it last year, and <laughs> our sports director from KXRO was not happy with the result. <laughs> so maybe we shouldn't duplicate duplicate that this year. Um, oh, who was that? Daniel Hargrove. Oh, yeah. I hear yeah. that guy's a jerk. <laughs> well, very concerned that both sides of the issues be presented. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, I mean that as an actual compliment. Going into uh, going into this Aberdeen Montesano game, um, there there are definitely some players to watch for. I think one thing that will become abundantly clear to people who watch the game is there's a pretty big there's going to be a pretty big size difference on in the trenches on the line. Yeah, uh, maybe not quite as much on the defensive line for Montesano, but because they have some pretty big kids there, they have a couple that play defensive line that play. Um, other positions on offense that are okay. pretty big. Gotcha. But on the offensive line for Monty, you're not going to see a 340-pound Jabron Brooks yep. or a, you know 285 or whatever Baltazar is. Yeah. Really big kid. Um, there really isn't one of those. And Monty has gotten away with having some undersized lines and being really competitive by, you know, instilling a very physical nature and also by scheming in a way that fast linemen benefit you yep. more than bulky linemen. So watch out for that. See how the battle in the trenches goes. Um, I happen to know that maybe the fastest kid on Montesano's whole team plays offensive line. <laughs> it is possible <laughs> that the kid who ran the fastest 40 yard dash on the team at, at, um, testing at the beginning of the football season is their right tackle it could be it could and be might be kidding him domashevitz <laughs> just no related. relation might be related <laughs> to me but uh yeah so i think that's one thing that you'll see um as far as skill positions go i think i still have a big i'm, I'm keeping my eye on ethan blundred for Montesano. Okay. This is a kid who's playing their playing their halfback spot. I watched him play last year. A little bit in varsity, but a lot in JV. He is explosive and fast and really hard to bring down. Um, he didn't get a lot of opportunities in this game against Black Hills because of what I felt like was um, the quirky defensive play calling. The coaches were trying to do other things, and then when they tried to go to Ethan um, on the draw plays and stuff up the middle, it just wasn't working. There wasn't any place to go. So I've got an eye on Ethan Blundred for Montesano in this game. Bodie Polar has been the guy through um, Jamboree and week one that has been like the pleasant big surprise for me as far as impact. And it's not because I, uh, Bodie's a good athlete and I've always known he's a good athlete. Yeah. Football's not his main bag. Like he's a baseball player. Um, and the big part of the reason why he's even starting on offense is because there was a player who quit. So, or not quit. That quit's not the right word. Decided not to play this year as yeah. opposed to last year. Yep. So Bodie's out there, and then he scores three touchdowns in the Jamboree, scores on a 53-yard bomb, and gets a pick in the week one loss. 
Um, so Bodie's definitely somebody to watch for as far as someone to make explosive plays as well. Um, I is expect play- to see. Is he playing free safety? No, defense? he's playing corner. Corner on defense. Yeah, Cole Eckerson is mostly playing free safety. Okay. Um, and then Caleb Ames also is someone who we watched make plays, actually earned himself an all-league spot last year after not even starting until about midway through the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a senior this year, so I expect to see big things from him as well. Um, on the Aberdeen side, for me, it's all about what can Jeremy Sawyer and Trey Anderson do for you. You know, are you going to be creative enough in your play calling to get those guys in a little bit of space so that they have one guy to beat instead of three guys to beat? Mm-hmm. Um, what are your impressions about what Aberdeen might be trying to do against Montesano next week? I think that it's going to be very interesting to see the schemes that they decide to go with because mm-hmm. the other side of this game is that the offensive coordinator for Aberdeen is Brian Hollitz the former defensive coordinator for many, many years for Montesano and a big re- a big part of that coaching staff for Montesano, right? And so when I watched that offense, I think at one point I told Ian, I was like, man, this offense is very multiple and I love all the things they're doing. And I, th- and I was like, it almost feels like Montesano. And I was like, wait a second, that makes sense. Because I had forgotten for a bit that, oh yeah, Brian Hollins is now the offensive coordinator for this team. And... I think that they have the talent that once they polish some things up a bit, because they struggled a little bit, you know, they had some problems with the turnovers, with penalties. When they polish things up a bit and really get into the flow of this, they have the two studs that you're looking for, right? I mean, we've seen it so many years with Montesano where they'll have three guys or two guys. Or sometimes, you know, there was the year where it was just Anthony Louthan who played like three guys. Mm. But, (laughs) you know, where you see it and you're like, oh, when they get multiple, they are just dirty to try and stop, right? And so when you have Jeremy Sawyer and Trey Anderson who basically split the the touches, right? Mm -hmm. So what what were the stats? Jeremy had 10 carries, but he also had three catches. And Trey uh, had Trey had twelve carries for one thirty. Jeremy had thirteen carries for ninety, but also caught three passes for yeah. fifty eight. Yeah, and they both scored two touchdowns. Yeah, and that was one of the cool things that I saw about this offense is early on when they were having trouble getting the ball in Jeremy's hands with space, like he was getting a lot of grinded out yards on the ground. They would run a play action where it might not even have been. I think it was play action, but they would like clear out a side of the field receiver wise. And so all the DBs are running that way. And then Kale would just be like, Oh, here's a nice little five yard pass to Jeremy. And he would turn around and have like 10 yards of open space. And then he could really show off his open space talent. Right. And so that's why we had three catches for 58 yards is because they were getting him the ball in creative ways for space. And then, you know, I mean, Trey's just a speed demon who has also added some bulk this year. I mean, I think he's only like, he might be a generous 5'8 and 175 pounds. So he's a big, strong kid, like strong kid and super fast and was trucking people at the end of runs. So, I mean, their skill positions are great. It's going to be interesting to see if they can mix in a wide receiver. We didn't really get to see too much of what the wide receivers could do, but I think it was Walsh and I want to say Watkins um, showed some promise, so showed some promise there. And Mason Sorensen is a big, strong athletic tight end who I think can make an impact as well. It's going to, in my mind, they have all, they have the offensive line, they have the weapons and 
Kale Goings is a very strong, tough, physical player that you love. He's a football player. He's the type of kid that you want to see on your football team. He reminds me a little bit of, do you remember uh, Kenny Wakefield for mm-hmm. Hoquiam? Yeah. He reminds me of that type of player. But where Kenny kind of got shifted out of playing quarterback because they realized that he did, like, 10 other things at least as good, they need Kale to be the quarterback. And he's a strong runner and a good runner. Now can he add in the throwing decision-makings? Because I think he's improved a ton with his throwing, by the way. When he first started as, what, a sophomore, you were like, oh, I wonder if he can throw enough to actually play quarterback. But then at that point, Aberdeen didn't throw it all, so it wasn't really an issue. But if he can get his decision-making throwing the football down, I think this is a team that could go do some amazing things this year. And he's definitely got the talent to do it, but it's, I mean, this is a whole new offense that he's trying to learn. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they progress down the season. So you don't have to make official pick right now. Are you going to pick Aberdeen? Yeah, Yeah. I am. And it's going to be really interesting to see how the coaching staffs, to see how, Montesano coaches against a Brian Hollitz-led offense and how Aberdeen attacks a Montesano defense and offense that Hollitz knows inside and out. It's going to be really interesting to see some wrinkles that they throw in like, hey, I know this defense does this or I know this, you know, because they know each other so well. So it's going to be really fascinating. I I may go watch this one. This one's going to be fun. It is. It really is. I'm not ready to lock in a pick yet. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know the score, but I think it's going to be... I'll pick. I think it's going to be Aberdeen. I'm going to pick Aberdeen, but I'm also going to pick them every time. So. <laughs> what about when they play Tumwater? I'll pick them. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he just gave me a look. Yeah, I did. If you're listening on the podcast, you didn't get to see it, but Andrew gave me a look like, what? I'm going to pick them. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What is, so... So we yeah, got, I think it's going to be very fun. we got to name an Athlete of the Week. I know who I'm leaning towards. What if we did dual Athletes of the Week? That's what I'm leaning towards. Okay. Because <laughs> I couldn't pick one between these two guys. Yeah. Do you the, want a drum roll? Sure. Athlete of the Week. Trey Anderson and Jeremy Sawyer. There you go. These two guys absolutely dominated the game. Like I said... Kale Goings played excellent as well. There was a bunch of standouts on defense for Aberdeen, but Trey and Jeremy were also some of those standouts on defense. They also played excellent defense. And so they combined for nearly 300 yards of offense just between the two of them. Uh, Jeremy, again, had, what was it, 10? 90 90 rushing yards on 13 13 carries, carries, 58 yards on three catches. And Trey Anderson had 130 yards rushing on 12 carries. Both scored two touchdowns. Yeah. So I think it's I think that's a pretty easy decision. Yeah. Couldn't pick one. And that was the tough decision. Is yeah. I was trying to pick one, and then we're like, why not Zoidberg? I mean, why not both? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so congratulations. Yes. Jeremy Sawyer, Trey Anderson, you are our Oli Penn Real Estate Athletes of the Week for your performance in the Myrtle Street rivalry game. We do give escalators for rivalry performances as we well. Do. So when you show out in a rivalry game the way that you guys did, much more likely to win the award. So keep that in mind if you're choosing which week you're going to go off. <laughs> go off in a rivalry match. I think they're just going to be going off every week. Okay. So I would love to yourself. see that. I'd love to see that. Yeah. And also, um, I-, I wanted to bring this up because there was, again, there wasn't too many, too many highlights for Hoquiam. 
And by the way, before I bring this up, though, Trey and Jeremy are two of my favorite kids to root for. I mean, even though they're Aberdeen guys. and Me I'm too, but not guy. on Friday. But <laughs> I, I really like those guys. Um, but I thought it was cool that – so King 5 ended up going mm-hmm. down to Hoquiam to cover this game because all the people, I'm assuming, in Aberdeen and Hoquiam were like hopped on Twitter when we shared it. I'm, I'm I mean, yeah, when we shared it, it yeah. was a big community effort. Exactly. Lots of people shared it, but mostly us. Yeah, I, so <laughs> I do think that even – I feel like there was a lot of even not in Aberdeen and Hoquiam, like a, yeah, screw whatever Puyallup. Seattle. Yeah, screw yeah. Puyallup. Come cover a team down here. Exactly. So Chris Egan, who was for King 5, uh, posted on Facebook after the game, oh, and he no. said, talk about classy – Hoquiam just lost to their rivals, Aberdeen, 40 to nothing. And a senior from Hoquiam came to our truck and said, thank you so much, King 5, for coming to the game. It's so awesome you were here. We can't thank you enough. And he says, this is the stuff that keeps him going. And I just wanted to say, because Hoquiam didn't have too many highlights in the game, I'm proud to be a Hoquiam guy because of that. Thank you to that senior. Yeah, I don't know who that senior was. But very, very... Do they mean like a high school senior or a senior citizen? I'm assuming you meant high school senior. Okay. Senior (laughs) senior citizen probably would have been a little bit different. Thank you for coming down to watch the football. All right. Anyway, just wanted to bring that up. What do we got next? Uh, The last thing we have on our sheet is poll results. Yes. So we haven't done this for a few episodes, so I'm excited to bring it back. I actually posted some polls based on last week's show. Uh, Make sure you get onto our Twitter page at The Scrimmage and vote on these polls because really important stuff happening here. Um, These kind of polls are the kind of things that uh, make the world a better place. Because if enough of you don't vote, then Justin just gets to have his way. Question number one on the polls. (laughs) Did you know that pumpkins are in the gourd family? I did. I assumed. 90% of people said yes. <laughs> Question number two. Did you know that cucumbers are in the gourd family? I did not. We I learned that, that last week. I've, I've learned that over the last like month or so. Gotcha. Because we're growing things in our garden. <laughs> so 71% of people said no. They did not know that. Nice. Informative. The more you know. Listen to the scrimmage. The next poll. Should Daniel be given an award? Yes. <laughs> For what? For being the first podcaster to mention Sean Canfield in the last 10 years. Possibly ever. Well, Daniel, I'm happy to inform you. 57% of the audience said yes. Yes! You should be given an award. The one time I have won one of these polls. <laughs> well, they didn't have Haley Van Lith as I was going to say, take that, Haley Van Lith. <laughs> Let's see if you won this next one. This is based on something you said. Uh-oh. Has every decision Pete Carroll has made since drafting Russell Wilson been garbage? 62% of the audience said no. Oh! <laughs> they did not agree with you. <laughs> next question. This was based on something I said oh. repeatedly okay. and again today. Okay. Do you miss Russ? 68% of the audience said no. Oh, wow. They do not miss Russ. Wow. See, <sighs> preseason, I'll be honest. Preseason, I haven't missed Russ. I do expect to miss Russ during this season. That's a good point. That's an interesting nuance to it. I miss Russ, but also hate Russ at the same time. Whoa, whoa. Hate's a strong word, Sports bro. hate. Sports hate. <laughs> 
Like we hate Lyndon Christian. Yeah. Or is, is that real hate? That's, has, that's <laughs> pushing it. When, when Russ was here, any time that he wasn't actively playing on the field in a meaningful game, there was this constant war of like, uh, but he's my quarterback. But uh, <laughs> but he's my quarterback. And now, when he does the ridiculous things or says the ridiculous things or That's makes right. the silly sound bites, I can just enjoy it and be like, <laughs> I, I totally accept and expect <laughs> not to enjoy it during the season. Uh, got but three so more. far, Broncos country. Let's, Let's ride. ride. Three more Broncos poll questions. Country. Let's ride. Here's the next hey, one. Seattle, we got a deal. <laughs> This is actually based on something that uh, Daniel's sister said in the chat. Oh, okay. What do we got? Does Daniel need to watch Ted Lasso? I've been told by multiple people since that episode that yes. Yes, I do. 67% of the audience said yes, you do need to watch Ted Lasso. Okay. I'll figure out a way to pirate it, I guess. (laughs) Next question. I might know, okay. Where is... If you're not a Ted Lasso watcher, you won't get this. Okay. <laughs> where is Roy Kent? Here, there, or every bleeping where? <laughs> per- 71% of the audience said Roy Kent is every bleeping where. Does that mean that they have seen Ted Lasso? Probably. Okay. Or it's just the most fun they, of the three answers. Right. <laughs> Last one. This is a big one. Who is most likely to be right? with their prediction of Seahawks wins this season. Oh. Daniel with four, Justin with six, Andrew with seven. Ooh, I this price was... right of I price of prices right at Justin. Yeah. On, this not is on purpose. Insanely close. Ooh. The person who lost got twenty nine percent and the person who won got thirty six. Wow. This is tight. Thirty six percent said Andrew is most likely Ooh. to be right. Wow, optimistic audience here. Or just and realistic. Also a very <laughs> pessimistic audience because one percent behind was Daniel at four. Yes. So thirty six percent Andrew, thirty-five percent Daniel, which left twenty nine percent for that, me. That actually does make sense though, because you and I are at both ends. Yep. Justin's stuck in the middle. From a from a price is right sort stuck of stuck in the middle with you. No, by yourself. You never want it coming out yeah. both ends. <laughs> Good point. That might have pushed our PG-13 rating. The Mariners game has been rescheduled for 5-10. What? Yep. <laughs> Today? That is in uh, 13 minutes, the Mariners game will restart. So the, They really... As w- we wrap this up here, you everyone can uh, tune into the Mariners game. And then the Mariners have to fly back to Seattle and play a game at 3-40 tomorrow, tomorrow? afternoon. Tomorrow? Oh, jeez. That's got to be pushed back, right? Can you? I assume you can. They pushed this game it. back. But that yeah, was a game that was already started, right? Yeah. yeah. They like didn't that was push because this of game weather. back. They oh, it just, just started it. Yeah, they didn't normal. push it back. They just scheduled when they're going to start it back up again. Oh, yeah. I assume. Um, that's crazy. That tells me that they really want to keep that off day in September. Ryan Divish tweeted that the game is scheduled to start at 8.10 p.m. Eastern. Rain is expected to start again at 8.14 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> Gosh. So they're just going to restart it and play in the rain, I guess. But they only need to get, like, one inning in. Yeah. I mean, on the Mariners' side, you want to see them start it. If you're a Cleveland Guardians fan, you're like, no, we're losing. It, they very may well restart to a, a stadium with nothing but Mariners fans left. I like it. <laughs> There's all, all 12 of them. What I think, think that'll do it for our show today. I was going to ask that. 
<laughs> I think it will. Is that it? Let's put a pin in the balloon of this episode. Let's nip it in the butt. So for my co-host, <laughs> Daniel, you never want it coming out both ends, Hargrove. <laughs> and my co-host... Couldn't Dang think it. of a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, stuck in the middle with you, Donna yeah, Shevitz. There you go. And Thank our you, trusty Andrew. producer, Andrew, picking Aberdeen every week. Gross. Hard stare. You've been listening to the scrimmage. Check us out. Socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do it now! Yeah. TikTok. But Justin never followed up on his bet. Oh, yeah, you're right. one video. What the heck? You have not got a thousand likes, sir. How many likes are you up to? How many likes it gets? How many are you up to? I don't know, like 220.